Good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors that here at the Village. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Glad to have some of our college students back with us this morning. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Jake, you look like Ryan Sheckler. You look like Ryan Sheckler. I love it. Some of you are like, who's Ryan Sheckler? Look it up. Google. All right. Good to be with all of you this morning. Um, we are continuing in our series, Prayers of the Bible. We've got two weeks left. And in this series over the summer, we have um, not just been looking at the prayers of the Bible to learn about the prayers of the Bible. We've been looking at the prayers of the Bible so that we can learn how to pray through the prayers of the Bible. And as we've done that, we've learned a lot about prayer. We've learned how to intercede for other people in prayer through the prayer of Moses. We've learned how to cry out to God in prayer through the prayer of Hannah. We've learned how to repent before God through prayer, through the prayer of King David in Psalm 52. We've learned how to return to God through prayer when we've been running from him through the prayer of Jonah. We've been learning how to, to go to God in prayer when we're pressed in and when persecution is pressing in on us through the prayer of the early church. And last week we learned how to pray and call out to God when we're desperate for cheap blueberries, but we can't find them. <laughs> through the prayer of the other David, you had to be here. This morning we're going to look at how to pray for Christians we've never met. How to pray for Christians we've never met. Here in Colossians 1, Paul seems to allude to this fact that he's actually never met the Colossian Christians. He's heard about their faith, but he's never seen it. Matter of fact, Paul says this, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And in his letter to Philemon, Paul writes that through the prayers of Philemon, he was hoping to see them. And to see them for the first time, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, he, tells, he tells Philemon, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. But even though Paul's never met the Colossian Christians, he does have a relational connection to them. He has a relational connection to them through Epaphras. Epaphras is one of his fellow workers, and through Epaphras, Paul is one degree of separation from these Christians that he has never met. And I want to ask you just to pause for a moment and think about how many groups of Christians, how many churches in this country, how many churches in the world, how many gatherings of Christians today, this morning, you are connected to by one degree of separation from another relationship that you have with a Christian that you do know, that you have met. There are Christians all around the country and Christians all around the world that we have never met. We may never meet, that we are one degree separation from because we know people like Paul, New Epaphras, that are connected to them and are intimately connected with them and to them. This week, I made a point to connect with Christians around the world that I know, around our country that I know and that I love, but they're with people, many of whom I've never met. Some of them I have. This week I had a call, a lengthy call with Pastor Aaron Sellers, and many of you know Pastor Aaron. He's at he's a Cornerstone Church, and, and they're in Vermont. They're in Bethel, Vermont, and Pastor Aaron was one of our pastors and elders for years, and a couple of years ago felt God's call to go pastor a church in Vermont. I know and love Aaron very much. I don't know anyone in his church. 
I've never met a person in this church. Matter of fact, this week he reached out to the elders and said, hey, let's plan a trip where you guys come out because I want our people to, to see not just, not just know where I came from, I want them to see who I come from. I don't know any of them, but I'm connected to them through Pastor Aaron. I, I thought this week about Awaken Church in Austin, Texas, and Ryan Cavender is an OG apprentice grad. Some of you might know Ryan Cavender, many of you do not. Ryan Cavender is an OG apprentice grad from this church who found his way to Austin to help plant a church as an elder. And as one of the founding elders, found himself now in a lead pastor role, and so now he's pastoring an established church. Through much of the training that he received here at the Village Church, and much of it through the Apprentice Academy, he's the lead pastor of Awakened Church in Oxford, Texas. And I texted um, Ryan this week and just said, man, love you, praying for you. I'm so proud of you. I, I don't know a single soul in his church, but relationally connected through him. This week I had two calls with Pastor Andy Dina from, from Albania. He's in Tirana, Albania. And I have been there as Pastor Matt Bowman was sharing with us recently. And Pastor Mike has been there as well. And a few members of our church. But most of our church family has never been to Albania. Andy has been here. We have not been there. We are relationally connected by one degree of separation to incredible Christians as far around the world as Albania. And we are connected by one degree of separation to Christians that I will never see. And the reason I will never see them is because even though I'd want to go see them, I can never see them because the missionaries that we have in our church that are in that part of the world that, whose names I can't mention and where they are, I can't even say from the stage, tell me that if I ever came that I'd be stopped at the airport and they'd Google my name and all of this kind of stuff would pop up. And I would either be sent home or taken into custody. I can never go and see those Christians. But I think about them often. What about you? I mean, these are some Christians that you are one degree of separation from. But I know many of you support churches in, in Africa and Romania and all, all kinds of places all over the world and all over this nation. And you and I are one degree of separation from them. And you may be thinking, okay, Matt, I appreciate this one degree of separation idea. This is kind of cute and endearing. You know, we know all these Christians around the country and around the world. And I appreciate the question about how many Christians that I'm one degree of separation from, because it's kind of, kind of jarring my memory this morning to think about them. But the question that I have and that I don't really want to vocalize, it's kind of in the back of my mind, is, is it really that important? to be praying for Christians we've never met. We're going to take an entire Sunday morning sermon on this. Is it really that important? <laughs> Look, I'm just trying to pray for the Christians I have met. So is it really that important to pray for Christians we've never met? And I say, well, let's see what Paul says about that. In verse, one, uh, verse 9 of chapter 1, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. From the day we heard about your faith in Jesus, we haven't stopped praying for you. Paul is saying that it's important enough to pray for Christians that he's never met, that he prays for them every day, continually. I'm taking that as daily. This is not an exaggeration from Paul. It's a declaration from Paul. He's saying, I'm praying for you all the time. I want you to think for a moment about the things that you pray for daily. And my assumption is, and this is not an indictment, this is an assumption, because I'm, I'm thinking about my own life too, that the, the things that you pray for daily are, are probably a pretty short list. You probably pray for your spouse, your wife, your husband, you probably pray for your family, your kids, you probably pray for your extended family. 
I'm, I'm assuming most of you pray for your work, you pray for your kids' schools, you pray for the places they're at. Maybe you pray for your finances daily because it's that tight in the midst of this economy. Maybe you pray for the people at your work. I'm hoping that you pray for the Village Church on a daily basis and its leaders and fellow partners. Maybe you pray daily for the people in your community group, but I think we're honest, it's a pretty short list of things that we pray for every single day, that we pray for, in a sense, continually. And what Paul is saying is, that's how important it is to pray for Christians we've never met. That we pray for them daily, we pray for them continually. That's what Paul is doing. Maybe that's what we should be doing. Apparently, Paul thinks it's important enough to pray for them daily. And I got to tell you, that's pretty humbling. But it's also pretty motivating. And my, heart, my, my desire this morning is that we'd be humbled by that in a way, and we'd be motivated by that in a way this morning, and that we would pray for Christians we've never met. And I want to tell you, at the end of our time together this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. We're all going to pray together for Christians we've never met. But for now, the question is why? Why, why do we pray for Christians we've never met? And I thought of two reasons off the top of my head. Maybe you're thinking of some reasons right now off the top of your head, but I think the first one might be this, that because we will meet them someday. I think we should pray for Christians we've never met because we're going to meet them someday. In Revelation chapter 7, it gives us a picture of just sort of the, the, the multitude of, of people that are going to be in heaven from, from every tribe and, and every people and every language, that there's a multitude that he cannot number. And among those multitudes of people are going to be people we can number. They're going to be the people that attend uh, Light Church in Toronto. They're going to be the people that attend Awaken Church in Austin, Texas. They're going to be the people that attend Cornerstone Church in Bethel, Vermont, and all the other places in the world where you and I are connected with Christians we've never met. They're going to be numbered among those people. And thankfully, I think by the time we're to heaven, this is foreshadowing of Revelation chapter 19, we're not going to have to worry about like that whole like, oh yeah, I said I'd pray for you, but I actually didn't. <laughs> and so then when I bump into you, we're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And like, we're not going to have any of that, praise God. Be a little uncomfortable. But I still think it's motivating. The idea to me, at least, is motivating that I'm going to meet them someday. So I want to be praying for them today. I think a second reason could be this, because, because God may actually use our prayers for them today. Remember, Paul um, wrote to Philemon, and he said, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. That the prayers that we pray today, and the prayers that we're going to pray today at the end of our service for Christians that we've never met, we believe that God could use those prayers today to move and to do something in the midst of those Christians' lives and the midst of that church community. On Thursday, the men met for Thursday morning men's prayer, and we were sitting in the back, and we were praying over all of these things, and we were praying through this passage. And it dawned on me that the things that we're praying right there, we prayed for Pastor Andy, we prayed for Pastor Aaron, we prayed for all these churches and all these places, and it dawned on me in the midst of that time that in that moment, on that day, on Thursday morning at 6.30 in the morning, that Jesus could have been using those prayers to accomplish something in the life of the church in Albania that we have no idea of, but I'm confident he could do that. And so why wouldn't we be praying for Christians we've never met, because we're going to meet them someday, and because Jesus can use that prayer actually today. We pray for Christians we've never met because we believe that God will meet their needs, and God will move in their lives and in the life of their church, in part through our prayers. C.S. Lewis 
says this in the collected letters, there's no question whether an event has happened because of your prayer. When the event you prayed for occurs, your prayer has always contributed to it. That as you and I pray for other Christians around the country and around the world this morning, when those events happen, our prayers have always, in his estimation, contributed to it. And I believe that's true because I believe there's scriptures that back up that idea. And when we pray for Christians we've never met, we get to be part of God's work in places we may never go. You may never go to Albania. You may never go to South Africa. You may never even go to Vermont. <laughs> but we get to be involved in the work that Jesus is doing in places we'll never go and in ways we may never have it, had a chance to otherwise. This morning, we're going to pray that, that Jesus draws people to himself in Toronto, Albania, as, as Andy goes out on a, a very intentional outreach effort this fall in that city. And we're going to pray that Jesus draws people to himself. And guess what? When that happens and when they become Christians, your prayers are going to have made a difference in the midst of that. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? It's amazing. It's amazing that God would include us in this. It's amazing. And we get to be part of that. Every time we pray for Christians we haven't met, we get to be part of it this morning. Okay, so it seems important to pray for Christians we've never met, but what do we pray for them? You're like, how am I supposed to pray for people I don't even know? What am I supposed to pray for people I've never met? I have no idea about their context. I don't really have a lot of understanding about what they're going through. Maybe you get a support letter or something, and, but maybe not. I have no idea how to pray for these people. What do I pray? And is it going to be a long list? Because I already have a list, and to be honest with you, I usually don't get through my list. Well, it's not a long list. I think it's actually just one thing. It kind of spirals into three or four things, but it's really mainly one thing. And it's in verse 9 where Paul says, And so from the first day we heard... We've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How do we pray for Christians that, are, that we have not yet met? I, I, think we just, I think we should pray that they would think like Jesus thinks. I think that the one prayer that we would pray is that they would think like Jesus thinks, that they would think like he thinks about his will for their lives, in their time, in their place, in their culture, in their city, in their church, in their neighborhood. That they would think like Jesus about his will for their lives, about all of the areas of their lives and the life of their church, both large things and small things, that they see all things and they think, what is his mind? What is his knowledge how does his knowledge apply to this? What is his will through his thinking in the midst of all of these things? And what do we know about the way that Jesus thinks? Well, I think at the very least we know that Jesus thinks in a gospel-oriented, God-glorifying kind of way. Can we agree with that this morning? That Jesus has to think, at very least, he thinks in a gospel-oriented, God-glorifying kind of way. So that thinking like Jesus means having a gospel-oriented mind about everything in life and in every decision that, that those Christians and that we would make in life and that their churches would make. Gospel-oriented Christians would ask questions like, like, what are the gospel implications of this decision? And how does this decision bring glory to God? How can I or we image something of the gospel in this? Sometimes we use that phrase that we're, we want to display the gospel to people. I think what we're saying is we want to do something that images something, some tangible reality of the gospel message in, in what we're doing. Or maybe these kinds of Christians are asking this question, 
how, would, how could this decision actually distort the beauty of the gospel in any way or be unglorifying to God? Let's avoid that. Let's not make any decision that would do something like this. I think these are the ways that Paul's thinking about praying for them. I think these are the things that he wants them to be thinking about, maybe the things we should be thinking about. And we actually get a glimpse into this gospel-oriented way of thinking through Paul's phrase, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. <clears throat> in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. First, it's spiritual, which means it's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That it's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, God-oriented wisdom, it rejects, it rejects carnal wisdom. That's wisdom that just comes from self. It rejects carnal wisdom. It rejects cultural wisdom, which, which is a wisdom that just comes from the spirit of the age. And it, and it rejects evil wisdom that really is wisdom that comes, well, from the evil one. It comes from a spirit of antichrist. Spiritual wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit, which means it points us to Jesus because that's the job of the Holy Spirit, to point us to Jesus and his gospel. So the first thing we're thinking about when we think about this kind of wisdom that we're praying for them and praying for us is that it is spiritual. It has its root in the Holy Spirit and His promptings through His Word, by His Spirit prompting us to pray these things. And I got to tell you, today it feels like there are a lot of Christians that are exchanging spiritual wisdom for carnal wisdom. It's really more the spirit of self than the spirit of Christ. Or exchanging cultural wisdom for spiritual wisdom. It's, it's the spirit of the age. So many Christians moving down this, this path of the spirit of the age in all the things of our cultural moment and trying to mix and meld all those things together with biblical Christianity like it's some sort of syncretism. Spiritual wisdom rejects that. That is not wisdom. Wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit of God that's rooted in the Word of God. It is spiritual and it is wisdom. That word wisdom really means a broad knowledge of the truth. It's the breadth of the truth of the gospel. And then there's understanding, which can mean flowing together, meld together, or directed in a particular direction. It's, it's, a, it's the depth of the wisdom of the gospel. And so I believe what Paul is saying is that a gospel-oriented wisdom, the kind of wisdom we're praying for them, thinking like Jesus means that we're thinking spiritually, led by the Holy Spirit, we have a breadth of wisdom, a breadth of insight about the breadth of the gospel, and we have a depth of insight about how it applies to that particular decision we're making. N.T. Wright says this about this idea, the knowledge of God's will is more than simply an insight into how God wants his people to behave. It's an understanding of God's whole saving purpose in Christ, and hence a knowledge of God himself. See, a person with spiritual wisdom and understanding asks questions like, how does my understanding of God's saving purpose in Christ and his gospel, how does it impact this decision I'm making with my spouse or this decision I'm making about how I'm going to parent my children or about where I'm going to choose to go to school or grad school or how I'm going to choose to live or where I'm going to choose to live or where I'm going to choose to, to, uh, to put my, my finances and my money and how am I going to make my investments? 
Where am I headed at work? How am I going to use my discretionary time? These are all decisions that, that are gospel-oriented decisions that a person that has this kind of mind is thinking about all of those things. And so as you pray for Christians around the world that you've never met, know that they are going through the same things you are. All of these things that you would pray for yourself, you could be praying for them. And a church with spiritual wisdom and understanding, I think, asks similar kinds of questions. How does our collective understanding of God's saving purpose in Christ, the breadth of it, how does it affect our core vision as a church and our core values? How does it affect what we're preaching on in the next season or what initiative we're starting? How does it affect the, the new outreach orientation that we're going to have this fall? How does it affect the way we live with each other in community and through our community groups? How does it affect our next discipleship emphasis? Or how does it affect everything in the life of our church? This is a gospel orientation. You can think of it this way this morning. Um, think of it like wearing a pair of bifocals. And I am so glad. You saw me head off the stage. I forgot my glasses because now I need glasses when I'm preaching. Um, but I don't need bifocals, at least not yet. Um, but sometimes I do wear them like this. Anyone do that? Yeah, when you want to see here and then down. Um, I want you to think about it like bifocals this morning. This idea of spiritual wisdom and, and, and understanding. It's that God wants us to have the, the breadth of the knowledge of the gospel. How, how far it reaches, the height and the breadth. And we talked about that in Ephesians recently. The top of it is, is the wisdom. It's to see far, the breadth of the gospel. But the, the understanding is, is the ability to see how that applies to the decision that's right kind of up close and personal. That's right up close and front. And that's why I need these glasses, because I can't see things that are close to me. He wants us to see the whole breadth of the gospel, but he wants us to see how that applies actually to the decision that's right in front of us. See it like wearing a pair of gospel lenses, gospel bifocals. Of all the things that Paul could pray for these Christians he's never met, he prays that they would think like Jesus and think about his will for their lives. But he does it for a reason. Because he knows some pretty amazing stuff is going to actually flow out of that, which is connected to the second thing I think we can pray for Christians we've never met, which is in verse 10 where he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I think the second thing we could pray for Christians we've never met this morning is that they would walk like Jesus walked. That they would not just think like Jesus thinks, but that they would walk like Jesus walked. Paul is not just concerned that they think Christ-likely. He's concerned that they, they live Christ-likely. And that's because Jesus is not just concerned, in my estimation, that, that we study his will, but that we walk in his will. I don't believe Jesus is just concerned how much we know. I think he's concerned with how much we do with what we know. I'm not sure Jesus is just concerned with how much we learn. I'm sure he's concerned with how we live, how we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This is actually the reason, I mean, one of the reasons, but this is the core reason that, that when you hear us say our core focus as a church, you hear us say the village church exists to grow and multiply disciples who are delighting in Jesus and declaring the good news about Jesus as Epaphras did to the Colossian church and displaying the life of Jesus. This is why we use this display word, because we believe he wants us to know and understand his word and grow in theology and declare those truths. But he also wants us to walk in them. 
He's just as concerned with what we're, the way we're living as he is with what we're learning. And Paul asked that they would think like Jesus, that they would walk like Jesus, because right thinking most often leads to right living. Not all of the time, but much or most of the time, right thinking leads to right acting. Gospel-oriented thinking leads to gospel-oriented acting. If we are thinking in a gospel-oriented way with those bifocals on, we're going to live in a gospel-oriented way, and we're going to display the life of Jesus to the people around us. You might say, well, what's the evidence? How do I know if I'm doing that? How do I know if I'm thinking in a gospel-oriented way and I'm actually living in a way that I'm displaying the life of Jesus? Well, there's probably a lot of things, but Paul gives two things right here in this prayer. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing good fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Growing in good works while we grow in godly knowledge. Growing in good works while we grow in godly knowledge. It's a both and. How would I know that I'm walking, that I'm displaying the truth of the gospel through my life? How, how do I know that I'm, I'm, I'm walking like Jesus walked? Good works and godly knowledge. And you know, as a people, Village Church, I just got to say, in my experience in the life of the church, there, there are churches that generally are really good at one or the other. They're generally really good at, at doctrine and teaching and study and Bible study and academics and theology and Greek and big words and all kinds of stuff that I love and that is really important, but really focus on that and not so much focus on like the outworkings of that. How do we actually live those things out? And sometimes in my experience, in my life of the church, I've been a part of the church a long time. There are churches that, well, they, they, they focus a lot on like how are we going to help people and how are we going to serve people and how, what are we going to do for them and how are we going to sort of reach them and meet their needs. But, but there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of gospel behind it and in it. How would we know that we're actually living these things out? It's, it's a both end. He's saying growing in good works as we continue to grow in godly knowledge. Years ago, I was in um, this intensive leadership development program um, for North America, and I was up in Vancouver much of the time because it was hosted there. Some of you know this story, but I got invited to this place where I was among a bunch of leaders, and I really felt like the nerd that got invited to the cool kids party. You know, I was like, what am I doing here? And one of the guys that was there was the guy that was involved um, helping to oversee the Salvation Army in the nation of Canada. And doing all kinds of good work and, and serving all kinds of people in very, very difficult places. And, and one night we were uh, all uh, around a fire and we were talking about the idea of removing the red letters from the Bible. Not removing the red letters, but just taking them away. They were talking about this idea that, that it's really a disservice to Christians to put the words of Jesus in red because we just focus on the words of Jesus and not the works of Jesus. Now, I'm not one of those people, I like the red letters in the Bible. I like seeing the things that Jesus said. I like seeing the things that Jesus declared that are straight from his mouth. But I kind of get the point. Do you get the point? I kind of get the point that sometimes we focus so much on what Jesus has said and maybe too little on the things that Jesus did. And here Paul is saying, this is what it's going to mean. You're going to know that you're, that you're walking like Jesus walked when you grow in good works and you continue to grow in the knowledge of God. And you know what I love about our church? I love that we're filled with a church that's, we're, we're a church that's filled with people that want to continue to grow in their knowledge of God as they continue to grow in good works. 
This week I got an email from a guy that I've invited into one of the leadership development tracks that I'm involved in this fall. This fall I get the privilege of investing in four different groups of leaders in our church in different ways. And in one of these groups I invited this one guy in. He's um, would be a little one of the older guys maybe on, on, on the spectrum in this group. And, uh, and I wanted some more seasoned people in this group. And I reached out to him and said, yeah, I'd, I'd really love, you know, you to be part of this because I, I love someone else kind of investing in these younger men. And he wrote me an email this week that said this, hey, just to level up, I'm also going to this to learn and to grow. Of course, I'll share my experience and studies and we'll share what the Lord has shown and where he's led me. But that said, I, I'm reminded nearly daily that it's a new world that these young men face. And I could, I could learn from these younger dudes in Christ as well. I just love that. I love that we have a church that's filled with even older, godly, seasoned men that are saying, I can learn from the younger guys. Like, I, I can continue to grow in godly wisdom and knowledge, even from guys that are younger than me. I love that. I can't wait for this group. It's going to be a great time. How do we pray for Christians we never met? We pray that they would think like Jesus. We pray that they would walk like Jesus. But I think sometimes that's easier said than done, right? Because we encounter hard circumstances and we encounter hard people. And the places that we're praying for and the people that we're praying for, they're encountering hard circumstances and they're encountering hard people, which can make it hard to, to think like Jesus thinks and walk like Jesus walks. And so Paul prays one other thing for them. It's in verse 11. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. I think the third thing we can pray for Christians we have never met is that they would have the power that Jesus has, that they would think like Jesus thinks, that they would walk like Jesus walked, and they would have the power that Jesus has. I want to draw your attention to this, and, and the reason I'm saying have the power that Jesus has is because in this scripture he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his, his glorious, according to his glorious might or power, for all endurance and patience with joy. I think the all plus all is this, this is unmatched power of God, that he's praying for them that they would have the actual power of Jesus working in and through their lives. There's no coincidence, it's not a coincidence he uses the all twice. The Bible, again, it doesn't highlight things, it can't highlight things, so it repeats things to emphasize things. A commentator on this passage, F.F. F. Bruce, a popular one, he says it this way, the power which they long to see manifested in their readers, that's Paul and Timothy, lives in the power of God himself and nothing less. And the good news is that we can have the power of God himself in our lives because the spirit of God himself indwells our lives. At least that's what Jesus told us. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And has asked the Father, I will give him another helper, give you another helper to be with you, how long? Forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, and he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Jesus has given us his spirit, in part, to empower us to walk like Jesus walked, even in the midst of really difficult circumstances and difficult people. And he's saying that he's praying that they would have this power with all endurance, for all endurance and for all patience. 
And we think about that, I think the idea here is that, that endurance is the power to, to deal with hard circumstances, and patience is the ability to, the power to deal with hard people, and to do both of those things in a godly way. You know, the Christians that we're praying for in Austin, Texas, like, you know, those, those people feel like they're in a foot race with us just to see, like, you know, how, how socially, you know, and ungodly, liberally, you know, can we get? Like, how far away from the things in the Bible, like, socially can we go? The people in Austin are like, we'll beat the people from California at the end of that race, right? So, so like, they're going to encounter hard circumstances and hard people, and they're going to need patience and endurance for circumstances and people because it's not going to be easy to think like Jesus thinks and to walk like Jesus walks in that kind of environment. And the Christians in Tirana, Albania, they are running into hard circumstances. <laughs> they were under communist rule for years. They have the malaise of the call of prayer that goes out in the morning, and when you're there and you hear it, it's just this like malaise that goes over, and people just feel like drones going to their thing. It, the people gather to pray to the demon Allah, and it's, it's just, it's a malaise over the entire culture. They are in a hard circumstance, and they do meet some hard people. Most people are open to them, and some people are not. And they need us to pray for them, that they'd have the power of God so that they could patiently endure both the circumstances, hard circumstances, and hard people. And I could give examples for every single Christian that we know in every place of the world we know, because the same is true for us. We, too, are walking through hard circumstances personally and collectively, and we, too, have hard people that we deal with in our lives personally and that are going to be against the people of God in the midst of our cultural context and we need the power of God for endurance in those circumstances and patience with those people, that we would respond in a godly way to each, and we could pray those things for the people that we know and love all around the world. Think like Jesus thinks, walk like Jesus walked, have the power that Jesus has, and one more thing, verses 12 to 14, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The last thing he prays for them, I believe, is that they would be thankful for what Jesus has done for them. Because at the end of the day, we may pray for Christians we've never met, and in the short term, their circumstances might not change. And those hard circumstances may persist, and those hard people may persist. They may continue to deal with difficult circumstances and difficult people which come against the progress that they're hoping to make for the sake of Christ and his gospel. But even if those things don't change, there are some much more important things that will also never change. And Paul's trying to point them to those things, and he wants them to be thankful that they share in the inheritance of God's people. That you and I as Christians, and they as Christians, wherever they live in the world, even if we've never met them, they share in the inheritance that we share in, that everything that's in Christ is ours, that we are his and he is ours. And although their life may be very difficult in difficult places around the world, and they may not feel like they have a lot, they have everything because they're in Christ, and one day they will have an inheritance that they cannot imagine, that they be thankful that they're living in the light instead of darkness that these Christians in Tirana, that they were under that malaise of that call to prayer 
And God's called them out of that darkness, and he's brought them into his glorious light. And they now have freedom. They're not under oppression. They don't, they're not in fear of God like in a, in a, in a bad way. They're, they fear the Lord in a very reverential way. God is their father. They can go to him for anything. They have full assurance. Muslims don't have assurance. They're Christians now. They do have assurance. They're out of the darkness, and they're into the light. They should be thankful. They, they have been purchased by God in whom we have redemption. Jesus has paid the price for their salvation to secure all of these things for them, and their sins are forgiven. The forgiveness of sins. Paul ends by, by listing all these things that the truth of the gospel has accomplished for them so that they can think like Jesus and walk like Jesus. And, and they can patiently endure like Jesus did, even in the midst of hard circumstances and with hard people, through the power of God. And even if it never changes today, there's things they can be thankful for. We pray they see those things. If you're with us this morning and you're not yet a Christian, um, maybe you feel like you're in a little darkness and that's why you came. Because you're like, I need, I, need to, I, need, I need to come, I need to get some light shining on the things that are going on in my life and, and those sorts of things. And we just want to say that Jesus says that he is the light of the world. And he is the one that brings people out of darkness, not just circumstantial darkness, but out of spiritual darkness and brings them into light. That Jesus is the light of the world that came into the world to live a life we could never live, a perfect life, a sinless life before God on our behalf to die a death we should have died, to pay the price for our sins, to be buried for three days and to be raised again to new life, to prove all these things once and for all, to defeat sin and hell and death and to absorb God's punishment towards sin on our behalf. He defeated all these things and he's proven to us that we can be forgiven and we can be free and we would just invite you to Jesus. We invite you to come out of the darkness and into the light and out of bondage and into freedom and in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I think there's some good news for all of us this morning. I think it's something like this, that we can think like Jesus, and we can walk like Jesus, and we can be empowered by Jesus, because we've been given the Spirit of Jesus. That when we place our faith and our hope and trust in Him, the Bible teaches that the Spirit of God actually comes and indwells our lives, that Christians aren't perfect, but they are forgiven, and they are empowered by God to increasingly live lives that look more like the life of Jesus. And so if you're not yet a Christian, we would invite you to Him. And we invite you to be changed and transformed by him, to be led by him, to be loved by him. We invite you to Jesus. Church, this morning we're going to respond in a couple of ways. Um, we respond in these ways every week. We're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to sing to Jesus because, um, well, he deserves it. We're going to take communion, and uh, we're going to remember the body of Jesus that was given for us and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And so after we sing our first song, those communion stations in the back will be open, and, and we would just invite you to come back. Maybe you'd come back with your family or with your friends or your community group, and you'd share communion together, remember Jesus and the sacrifice that he made so that your sin could be forgiven. We're going to give up our tithes and offerings. Many of you do that online. Some of you do that in the back this morning. That's an act of worship. We're going to do that as well. But before we do that, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to pray. Um, we're going to pray for Christians that we've never met. Some of you may have met some of these Christians, but, uh, but I bet you haven't met most of them. And so we're going to pray for Christians we haven't met this morning. And we're going to do it this way. Um, we're going to pray with our eyes open. Have you ever done that? Pray with your eyes open. It might feel kind of uncomfortable because, like, you're going to think that I'm looking at you and praying for you, but I'm, I'm not praying for you, actually. Um, 
I'm praying for the people that I'm gonna see on the screens behind me. Although I do pray for you other times, I'm just not praying for you right now. Are we clear? Okay. And then it's gonna be awkward, like you're all gonna be looking at me, I'm thinking like, this whole group of people is praying for me and you're not praying for me. You're praying for the people behind me that are gonna be on the screen. And um, what I want you to do is, as their images are on the screen, we're gonna pray with our eyes open. And just under your breath, I want you to pray for these groups of people that they would be thinking like Jesus, that they would be walking like Jesus, that they would be empowered like Jesus, with the power of Jesus, and that they'd be thankful for all that he's done for them. So the first slide is um, Pastor Aaron at their VBS. You know, that uh, Pastor Aaron couldn't find a picture of his of entire church to send to me this week, like at a church picnic or gathering. So he sent me this one from VBS. And I just thought, you know what? It's perfect. Because it reminds us that they're a church that's just like ours. You know, they do a village adventures kind of thing every summer. And, and here Pastor Aaron is up front, like Pastor David may have been, you know, during, during our village adventures here. And so I just want you to take a moment to pray for Pastor Aaron, to pray for Cornerstone Church in Bethel, Vermont. Let's pray with eyes open this morning. is a place like Austin, Texas, by the way, that's trying to beat us to the end of the race, to the most ungodly social policies you can imagine. And Aaron's talking to me about him. And it's hard to be a church in that environment. Next slide is um, Toronto Church. And, and you saw the slide the other day, but this is Pastor Matt Bowman teaching with the interpreter. I see Athena smiling. She's been there. We've been there together. It's a great church. It's a great group of people. I know some of those Christians. I don't know all of them. There are new Christians in that church, praise God. They've come to faith for the first time. So I'm going to pray for them this morning with my eyes open. But that's some of the church in Toronto, Albania, Light Church. They have a um, huge outreach project that they're working on. They're making all this print material, and they're building teams, and they're going to be doing street evangelism every Sunday, every week throughout the whole fall. They're going after it. They're talking to people on the street about Jesus. So would you pray for them? Let's pray with eyes open. Next slide is just a silhouette, and um, I don't think they really look like that, but it's the best I could find. 
If you know, you know. I got a report this morning from Dan that um, the Christians in this area um, are going through it. It wasn't a religious attack, but there's a lot of strife and fighting that's happened just recently, and a lot of people have been killed and indiscriminately. And some of the Christians there, it sounds like, may have even lost family members as a part of that. As if the place they live in is not difficult enough. So they could really use our prayers this morning. So if you know, you know. If you don't, um, God knows. And so please pray for our two friends and their family in this very difficult place that's as dark as you could possibly imagine. Let's pray that God would deliver people out of darkness and bring them into light. Let's pray with eyes open this morning. time this morning, I'm mindful that this morning we're praying for Christians we've never met, but they are too. And I got to tell you, um, Pastor Aaron is doing a great job pastoring his church, and I guarantee you, you want the people from Cornerstone Church in Bethel, Vermont, praying for you. And they are. And I know the Christians in Tirana, Albania, I know some of them, and they have such a deep faith and trust in Jesus. And I bet you they're praying for you. They don't know you, but they're praying for you. And you need their prayers, and you want those people praying for you. They are deeply spiritual people. You want their prayers, trust me. And they are praying for you. At the end of the day, Jesus intercedes for all of us. 